There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night, he went to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I am telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the spirit. Do not be surprised, because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? You are a great teacher in Israel, and you don't know this. I am telling you the truth. We speak of what we know and report what we have seen. Yet none of you is willing to accept our message. You do not believe me when I tell you about the things of this world. How will you ever believe me then when I tell you about the things of heaven? And no one has ever gone up to heaven except the Son of Man, who came down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert, in the same way the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to be its judge, but to be its savior. Those who believe in the Son are not judged. Word of the Lord from John chapter 3. Would you bow with me, please? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to, to open the word now. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would blow upon us and blow through us and into our hearts this morning. Remind us of the things that are upon your heart. Help us to be obedient to you as you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The phrase, uh, born again, went through some very difficult times in the 80s and the 90s. And the intensity has... Uh, now lifted somewhat, society was reacting to the evangelicals who talked about being born again. The phrase became so common that it was used for all kinds of situations that it has nothing to do with the manner in which it is used in the New Testament. Uh, it was kind of a poke at evangelicals. People might say that the Edmonton Eskimos have been born again this year. 
wow, look, here they are. We might, we might even get into the playoffs if we, if we win tomorrow. Born again. Now, they worry me a little bit yet, I, I admit. But uh, marriages that have uh, gotten turned around have been referred to as being born again. Basically, we have adjusted the meaning of the words to indicate a kind of a renewal. His name was a household word to, to most everyone in the country, though some saw him as the hatchet man. He appeared to be arrogant and very self-serving, and indeed he was. He had a law degree. He was a, an officer in the U.S. military. He was uh, President Nixon's uh, right-hand man in the Oval Office. You guessed it, Charles Colson. He was uh, found guilty of the famous Watergate scandal and was sentenced to serve a prison sentence uh, in Maxwell Penitentiary, prisoner number 232226. Thanks to a good friend by the name of Tom Phillips, Colson's life was radically changed. He was born again. Philip, in the midst of all of this political turmoil, had a visit with Colson. And before the, he left, he handed Colson uh, a book, a copy of a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. In the, uh, in the weeks that followed, Colson read that book and it absolutely intrigued him. It took his mind from the pressures of his situation and it, it allowed a picture to form in his mind of the relevance of God for his life and how he could come to know God through Jesus Christ. Because Chuck Colson respected Tom Phillips, he read the book thoroughly. Without anyone else being there, Chuck Colson quietly surrendered his life to Christ, and he was spiritually reborn. After serving his sentence at Maxwell Institution, he went on to write a book called Born Again. When his life looked so finished, so done, God stepped in, touched his life, and raised this man up to an amazing ministry, as many of you know, called Prison Fellowship. And if you've ever had the occasion to hear Chuck speak, you know the quality of man that he is and the heart that he had for God. He's now in heaven, but he's left a huge fingerprint on this world. We have a passage this morning that brings us to these words, born again. We're in uh, John chapter 3. Only one message from this long chapter, although it seems deserving of more, Pastor Norb. <laughs> We're pressing forward in our study of the Gospel of John. I hope some of you are getting a chance to reread this Gospel because it will bless your heart. John 3, 1 to 16 is the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. It's a story that I know many of you know very well. My prayer is that you will just see it differently this morning, that perhaps you will see it through a new lens. It's an awesome interview, and it cuts through 21 centuries of time to be incredibly significant for all of us. Maybe you will have an interview someday. Or maybe you will have a conversation someday and you'll be able to leverage this conversation to help you bring insight to someone who's asking questions in your life. So let me give you some handles for the passage. Number one, 
our actions always come first. Can I give you some data on Nicodemus? There was a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. First, we ought to know that the man who comes to Jesus at night is an intellectual. He's the Ph.D. He's the Th.D. of the day. He is, he's politically astute. He is bright. He is capable. He's intelligent and he's active. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which simply means the Supreme Court of the Jews. Rome allowed the Jewish people to govern them, themselves in terms of, of their religious practices and basically their life as a people. Rome, of course, ran the big show, but the life, the culture, the religious direction was controlled by a powerful group of men, uh, 70 in number, and Nicodemus was part of that group. It was called the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He had dedicated his life to studying the Ten Commandments. I'll say that again because it kind of gets past us. He dedicated his life to studying the Ten Commandments. Now you say, wow, his whole life? His whole life to studying Ten Commandments. Uh, Well, they took it seriously. And they attempted to apply the Ten Commandments to every situation of life. In fact, they compiled a very thick book, which the Jews still have today. It's called the Mishnah, made up of sections or chapters devoted to applying the Ten Commandments to life. For example, the section on obeying the rule of not working on the Sabbath occupies 24 chapters. I don't know if you're up on your Mishnah or not. Can you imagine that? 24 chapters of practical applications of situations that spell out the details of not working on the Sabbath. 24 chapters. Now, besides that, they have another book called the Talmud, which is made up of commentaries on the Mishnah. And in dealing with the Sabbath alone, there are 156 pages of commentary on the Mishnah. They formulated every kind of nuance you can imagine. And that's where Nicodemus comes in. He's an expert on the law. He's read those books. He knows this stuff inside and out. He knows the Old Testament better than any of us in this room. He knows the Mishnah. He knows the Talmud. He can tell you the chapter and the page or maybe the scroll number and the line number. And some have suggested that the definite article should be underscored in verse 10 to note that Nicodemus is not just a teacher, but it's the definite article. He is the teacher. So it may be that Nicodemus is the teacher, the primary teacher of the Sanhedrin and the people of Israel. If that is so, wow. This is the big guy. This is the expert. And he comes at night. Ever wonder why? Well, if you're a celebrity, you don't want the paparazzi listening in on your conversation that he's about to have with Jesus. Or if you have authentic questions 
that might turn the heads of your colleagues that you wouldn't want them to really, really hear that you're asking those questions, you would want to be politically wise about that. And surely you wouldn't allow the people on the street to see that the Pharisees are cozying up to Jesus because everyone knew that they were on a different page. So he elects to come at night. Let's have this conversation privately. Let's keep this non-political, if you like. You know, we all need a safe place to ask our questions. We're doing that in Alpha these days. And it's a great place. I hope if you have questions along your journey that you'll find a person or a group where you are comfortable to put them out there. And not be afraid to put them out there. We're all on a journey. Nobody has all the answers. But if we're just honest, we can help one another along the way. And we'll do our best. And so that could be very helpful. But I want you to see this, that Nicodemus has been watching Jesus. Oh yes, he's, he's not unaware of who Jesus is. On every street corner... For the last number of months, Nicodemus has not been very far away. He's been in the crowd. He's been taking notes on Jesus. So he says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This is a perfect place just to remind us all, friends, that we are all being watched all the time. You might not think about it. Uh, But your family thinks about it, your extended family thinks about it, especially if they're not people of faith. Your neighbors think about it. They see the car pull in and out, and they they know, oh, they've been to church. Actually, they're quite intrigued with our lives, although they'll never tell you that. They observe that we have values that perhaps they have long since left behind. And they see how we want justice and, and not revenge. They're startled when we're willing to forgive. Nicodemus saw the miracles. That was impressive. I, I know it, was, it really caught his attention. But I think it was the compassion. It was the heart of a man who was different. It was the kindness and the beauty of those acts. It's an intriguing question. Do people who know you or who encounter you say to themselves, I know she comes from God. Because no one ever treated me with such kindness before. No one ever accepted me like that. No one ever cared for me or served me like that before. Jesus won a hearing by the quality of his life and his works. He earned the right to be heard by virtue of his compassion and his goodness and his power. Now, I know we're not Jesus. And you and I are not going to win a, a hearing by changing water into wine. Uh, But on the other hand, we can bring coffee to somebody and that will be an unexpected blessing for some. We can't heal the sick. I mean, yes, through the power of God. uh, But that's God's job. But we can care for people when they're hurting. And we can let them know that they're loved and accepted and valued and that we're praying for them. And we're not going to multiply loaves and fishes But we can provide a home-cooked meal. The people around us need to see lives that are distinct. They may take notice of the fact that we go to church or we refrain from the kind of words that make the air blue. But the thing that will really stop them in their tracks is an unexpected, 
undeserved, unconditional act of kindness. They're always the best conversation prompters. Our actions always come first. Secondly, engage people in real conversations. Now, this is quite an interview. Now, I can appreciate that John doesn't have time to include all the details. I'm sure this, this is a longer conversation here. But, but he certainly slices through to the very heart of this conversation. Nicodemus, to his credit, was quite diplomatic. In fact, he hasn't even asked a question yet. But, of course, John knows him. And, and, and John, our, our Jesus knows him. And, and Jesus knows where he's at. And, and don't you appreciate the fact that he doesn't do a song and dance for 10 minutes trying to get on the good side of Nicodemus? He doesn't say, oh, yeah, I've heard about you and I've been just really wanting to meet you and it's just a pleasure to get to know you and I just, I just really have watched you from... No, none of that. He knows what he needs to say to Nicodemus. And he's not impolite, but he certainly races right to the point. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus... Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth, verily, verily, truly, truly, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you're talking to an expert. And you're saying, you cannot see the kingdom of God by choosing to follow your route. You see, Nicodemus, it's not all about good teaching. It's not about the Mishnah. It's not all about the Talmud. It's not having all of this in your frontal lobes and you can just say it. So this is weighty stuff to Nicodemus. This is going to engage him in some real conversation because he's all about the law. He's about all, he, all about trying to approach God from a totally different way than Jesus is suggesting. And Nicodemus will sense this immediately. This is not about me earning the kingdom. This is not about me working my way into the kingdom. It's not about cleaning up my life and then seeing if I could maybe get off to church somewhere. Jesus is saying it's not about that. It's about being born again. It's about a new birth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, friends, as old as this verse is, and as significant as what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the verse still doesn't have great traction globally. Because most people in our world take the perspective that we need to do something to ourselves. That we need to transform ourselves. That we need to do something. That we need to earn some points on the credit card of life. And give up our sins. And try hard to be the person that a Christian should be. Or at the very least, try to figure out how to appease God. And yet God does not need to be appeased. He doesn't need to be appeased. God took care of that when he allowed his son to give his life on a cross. His death, Jesus' death, covered all of our sins. God allowed, he sent his son on his great mission to restore the brokenness of the world and the brokenness and the sin of every heart. That was the great plan of God. But Nicodemus scurries for a response to the statement of Jesus. He says, well, I, I'll ask the logical question. What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be 
born again. He's a good debater because Nicodemus spins off the words born again. The word for again can have two possible meanings. And Nicodemus chose the one that he could get the most leverage from. Hadn't really seen this before. And we all do it. We all do it. You can't blame him. You're going to take the argument that you're going to get the furthest down the road with. The words born again can mean just what it says, born again another time, or, or it can mean from above. Uh, very same word. So Nicodemus runs with the first meaning of the word because this looks like a winner. It's going to get him some debate points. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Cough, cough, cough. I don't think so. So the Savior elaborates. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't say, you got me wrong here. You took the wrong meaning. He just leads him right back to clarification. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. I don't know if you've seen this film. Uh, the Unbelievers is a 2013 documentary film that follows Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss as they speak publicly around the globe on the importance of science and reason in the modern world. It's a call to uh, reject faith in a creator and only embrace humanistic scientific perspective. Mark and I had the opportunity to, to watch the documentary very recently. Oh, it was really hard to, to watch that. Uh, the rejection of God is so blatant. You just feel like you're under attack. However, regardless of the opinions of whoever, regardless of education, regardless of advanced learning in the world, uh, it just took me a day or two to kind of let, let it sift through me. The truth will prevail. The truth will prevail. And it occurred to me as I read this passage that often we choose to operate out of an empirical world completely. Show me the data. This is what we touch. This is what we feel. This is what we smell. And we don't see God in this world. Where is he? Where is he? So in our limited way, we claim, well, he doesn't exist. The world didn't come about because of God. No, there's, there's empirical data that it came about without a creator. And, and maybe Nicodemus had some of these flu-like symptoms. The law, you touch it, you feel it, you handle it. This is empirical stuff. This is what I can get my hands on. But Jesus says, no, there is a whole other dimension to life. And it's a spiritual dimension. And maybe going outside like we saw in the video, they heard the wind rustling in the background. And Jesus said, that's like the moving of the spirit in the spiritual world. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. And Nicodemus, I tell you, to be born from above, it's, it's like the wind that's blowing. The Spirit is moving. There is a spiritual dimension to life and it's what the Spirit does in our lives that brings the transformation. It's not about all of our effort. 
and what we bring. It's actually about the wind of the Spirit and how we can take a life, how God can take a life and transform it. You see, I think Jesus sensed in Nicodemus a deep hunger for something that was needed to be satisfied in his life. Here was a man that was doing his level best to obey what he thought God wanted. I mean, he's honest. I, I think he was truly trying to do what he thought God wanted. Yet he had an empty and unsatisfied heart. The wind of the Spirit was yet to blow in his life. John Wesley's favorite text, which he preached throughout all of England and Wales and Scotland, was this, you must be born again. Someone said to him once, why do you preach so often on this that you must be born again? And Wesley kind of just looked at him and said, because you must be born again. You must be born again. Nothing should take away from the essence of what Jesus is teaching. Nothing substitutes for the transforming work of our lives by the Spirit. I love the statement by Mother Teresa. She said, pray for me that my concern for the poor will not distract me from Jesus Christ. Pray for me that my concern for the poor will not distract me from Jesus Christ. Important perspective. That in all of the good things that we seek to do, that they, they somehow don't get in front of the real transformation, the work of the Spirit in the new birth, to be born of water and the Spirit. Now the commentators are a little mixed in their understanding of what this term meant, born of water and the Spirit. They're not quite together in their thinking, but there's never a shortage of opinion. What he's really saying is to be born of water and the Spirit. And some say, well, that's just a reference to baptism, uh, the water. And then, of course, to, to the Spirit of God coming into one's life. But actually, I, I think Jesus had in mind something different. I think it's a bigger picture. I think it's a picture of cleansing. I think it goes back to Ezekiel 34, 25 to 27, when the prophet predicted a day that was coming when the nations would be gathered together and God would do a new thing in, in their hearts. And the writer says, then I will sprinkle uh, clean water on you and you will be clean your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That sounds like born again to me. Jesus is teaching us something wonderfully new and refreshing. It's not about us being good enough for God. We never will be. It's about a heart change. It's about a, a new spiritual life. It's about a life that becomes alive because of the wind of the Spirit of God that blows in our hearts beyond us. Isn't it interesting to watch the, the news every evening? If you watch CTV, John Cla uh, Josh Clausen shows us the jet stream nearly every evening. He's got to refer to the jet stream uh, as part of the weather report. No one can control the jet stream because it's here and it's there and it's coming in from this end. It moves around and, and our weather is controlled by the jet stream. This is the way that our life changes when we're born again. There's a new jet stream 
There's a new wind that's blowing. And it changes the course of our lives. And the wind of the Spirit will lead us through all the days of our lives. And it's not all about us being in charge and making sure that we've got everything all nailed down and even though we should do our best preparation. But there comes a point where it's beyond our preparation. And it's, it's allowing the Spirit of God to be in charge. And God wants to blow into us. And God wants to march us in His drumbeat. And so I just say to you this morning, just allow the, the wind of the Spirit to allow the wind of the Spirit to allow the wind of the Spirit to blow in your life. I read a little story of a Christian in England years ago who was asked to sign a church guest register. And as he was about to sign, he noticed that a number of guests had entered their degrees, no less, after their names. And he wanted to put some letters after his name, (laughs) but he'd never been to university. So he wrote, John Smith, B.A. and M.A., And asked what the letter stood for, he said, John Smith, born again and marvelously altered. Love it. Born again and marvelously altered. When God's wind blows into your life, when you're born again, you can anticipate many changes. may take a while, but if you're born again, you'll see the changes You'll be amazed at how you start to grow. I mean, if nothing ever changes over the many years of saying we are followers of Christ, but nothing ever changes, we, we never grow. We have to honestly ask, have we been born again? Has there really been a birth from above? But if you have been born again, you find yourself sitting here this morning And you you find yourself receiving this information. And as you do, your heart's alive with the sounds of God's music. And you 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 come because your hearts get touched when we sing these wonderful songs that we sang this morning. And when you hear a man like Gio share this morning. And it's the spirit connection. The Holy Spirit is alive in your heart. You have a new dimension is born from above. What a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. I'm sure you've had these kind of conversations too. And you walk away saying, wow, that was fun. Oh, loved our conversation today. That was awesome. I could see how God was working in that conversation. So our actions always come first. Secondly, engage people in real conversation. And then we just touch down for, on, a, on a final thought, and I'll just be very brief. Tell God's story. Tell God's story. Nicodemus' head is swirling. Verse 9. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asks. What are you talking about? Here's a little friendly poke from the Savior. You are a respected Jewish teacher. You might translate it, you are the respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? You don't get this? This is a whole new realm for you, Nicodemus. Just imagine how your head will spin if if I start talking about heavenly things. What if I told you about the kind of community that I experienced in the divine community with the Spirit and the Father, and the harmony and the joy that we had together 
uh, in eternity prior. What would you do with that? Uh, they handed out the Nobel Prizes this week. Pretty impressive line of, uh, lineup of people. And these people are gifted. Oh, they're smart. They're well-trained. They're educated. But you know, you can be a Ph.D. physicist. You can be so complex in what you do. And I ask you, what do you do? You tell me. And, and I say, what did he say? I don't know what he is. I still don't know what he does. And yet you may not have a clue about spiritual things. Jesus says, and just so you know, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. And then listen to what he says, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. You think Nicodemus was getting it? Nicodemus, I'm the one who's come down from heaven. I have come from the community of the triune God. And I'm trying to show you how to know God. And just so you know, it's not as tough as you're making it. It's not about obeying all those laws and the commentary on the laws. It's not about trying to present yourself as a righteous person who's got it all together. It's not that. I'm trying to tell you that the new birth, being born from above, is what God wants. It means believing in the Son of God. It means trusting your life to God's Son. So Jesus knows for sure that Nicodemus would dial in very carefully if he mentioned Moses. He's a a specialist in Moses. So he tells the Old Testament story from Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. I have to tell it quickly. Where Moses says in order to stop the people from dying from poisonous snakes, Moses was to shape a replica of, of, of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And the people would look up at that bronze snake And when they did, the venom would lose its power and they would be healed. And that would stop the deaths in the camp. And here's the God story. Here's the invitation for Nicodemus and for us. Jesus said, that's what's happening here. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And I'm going to give my life so that when people look to me, the sin in their lives will lose its power and they will be forgiven. And here's why. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. Friends, tell God's story. You come to a point in your relationship with people where you can tell it. You've done all the homework and now you can tell the story. The story of the new birth and how they can find the new life in Christ. And Nicodemus had quite a conversation with Jesus. And somewhere between chapter 3 and the end of the gospel, Nicodemus believes. He trusts Christ for the new birth. And that's what's so wonderful about this story. I wish you could see it in this gospel or in this account. But it says in John chapter 19, when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus the man who had come to Jesus at night, you know something's happened in his life. 
Look at the fruit of that conversation in John chapter 3. What a conversation. Look at what God is doing. Nicodemus finally gets it. In the months to follow, his heart is turned to God. He's already heard from Jesus himself that he's going to be lifted up. So the cross is no surprise. Jesus said, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That just blesses my heart. Yay, Nicodemus. I'm so glad you believed. I'm so glad you remind us that we too are blessed when we, when we believe. And his message to us is, as you follow me and trust me and obey me, I will begin to make you whole. And what I begin to do in your life here and now, I will complete in you throughout eternity. Do you know the Savior? Have you been born from above? Have you been born from above? You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You just say, I want to be born from above. I want you to touch my life. Are you engaged in a conversation with Jesus that will change your life? I'm confident that if you engage, you'll move beyond the empirical to the new birth. You'll move to the spiritual. And that's the connection that Jesus is most concerned for each of us. So let's stand together. So Lord, let the wind of the Spirit blow. Blow upon every life here today. Blow upon every family member. And bring transformation. And bring wholeness. And bring healing. And bring new beginnings. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here today. Thank you for the things that you've been whispering to us. And we love you. In Jesus' name.